I really want it to be 80s newscaster music. This show is not allied with any sect, denomination, political entity, organization, or institution. Does not engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any cause. Neither do we. We're not affiliated with Al-Anon or any other 12-step program. The opinions expressed here are strictly of the person who gave them. Please take what you like and leave the rest. Hi, I'm Corey. Hi, Corey. Hi, I'm Claire. Hi, Claire. And this is Crosstalk. Cool. It's been a minute because... It really has... been a minute. Um, That's right. Don't jade about it. I'm not interested. I just, I just never jade, so I don't even. Re- I had to remember what that was. Do you, um, do you have any currency? Are you getting current? Will you get current with? I have me? so, I have so much currency. Wait, makes Claire, me has anything die. happened since the last time Shut we recorded the fu- this podcast? <laughs> has your like, life changed in any, in any meaningful uh, ways? Um, but three minutes. Okay, okay, I'm watching the clock. So. <sighs> You know, I was, as our faithful listeners know, I was earlier in the year, like looking at rings and like approaching a proposal to a partner. And it is completely 180 at this point. And we are uncoupling. We're no longer together. Um, Wow. I'm just like going to keep it real easy, does it? And keep the focus on myself and say that. You know, we came to a place where it was like, I'm not ever going to like make somebody want to want me, you know, it just isn't something I do anymore. Like I don't chase people anymore. And this person expressed that they weren't sure that they really didn't think I was the life partner for them. And so then I was like, I'm out. I was like, okay, I'm not gonna like go down this road of like, maybe, maybe not and invest my time and energy. There were a lot of other elements to this situation that I had like over the past couple of months really come to understand that like there are a lot of needs that I was having that like weren't really feeling like they were getting met whilst I was like meeting or like trying to like meet this partner's needs and in many ways, I felt like I was being really flexible and compassionate. And um, I didn't feel like I was getting the same thing in return. It kind of felt like they kind of disappeared. And that just doesn't work for me. You know, and it's not for me to say when anybody's in anything that might look like a dis-ease, you know. And what I know is that it really started to feel like living with and being with an active addict and I just don't do it anymore. So all of these factors came together and yeah, so this, so we're uncoupling. So there's that. I mean, also like my business is going great and also like I'm still happy, joyous and free in all of this. That is the gift of this program. And 
Um, you know, my brain really wanted to like obsess and, and, and focus on certain things and focus on all these things outside of myself. And I just like kept coming back to program, coming back to program, coming back to myself, coming back to myself, coming back to my higher power. And so I've been able to like continually be still like happy every day. And I'm, it's been about a month now that we decided to, to completely split. And I'm like, I feel great a lot. I had a great Halloween. It was just Halloween. And I love Halloween. I had so much fun. Got to spend time with some really sweet people. Um, I have like a fun person in my life that I get to enjoy time with, that there's no labeling of anything, but I'm really enjoying this person. Feels really good to spend time with them. And I see a lot of um, myself like just being like, oh, yeah, like I get to show up as me and like other people actually will can show up for me too as me as me too works great i'm getting top surgery in december that's it you're up Corey. Those are my three minutes i mean it was a little <laughs> longer but who's counting um so... apparently you are you're that person in the room <laughs> checking the timers time oh, no. is the timer timing properly is the time go with the flow Claire. i don't think the timer is um, actually timing the right time i'm listen, gonna time it too that sounds crazy and not something i would ever do um i am practicing my program in a very casual way with my life well not casual it's kind of a, it's in all my affairs so much that it just is like the only way to go um and keep getting reminded about step three which is what i've been sharing about lately uh decided to buy a house with my partner and um, we're looking around and I said in this process, cause I bought a house before and it was kind of an inside track thing and it was pretty stressful, but it wasn't like I had to shop anyway, it doesn't matter. I was like, I'm only gonna do this if it's easy does it. It has to be easy does it. This just has to be the way it happens or else I can't do it. We don't have the time, we're too busy. It's gotta go someone else's time. So I made some friends and one of them was like, I'm a real estate agent. And I was like, do you want to represent us? And he said, yes. And then I was out to dinner with another one of his friends. And they, he ran into this woman in the street. And she had really cool shoes. And I was like, I love your shoes. And they were chatting. And he was like, she's a mortgage broker. And I was like, OK, we need a mortgage. And within a week, we had a mortgage because of her. We went and looked at like our fifth house. And we we're like, we love this house. And we made an offer. And the guy was like, you're the highest offer. And it was so easy, does it? Except the guy was like overwhelmed because the sewer needed to be repaired. And so we had count, we had all the counters for that or whatever, but he got overwhelmed and took the house off the market after getting four bids, telling us we were going to get one eventually. We didn't sign it. Anyway, I fell into a little bit of obsession over this house, a little bit of not easy, does it? It's the, because it's such a freaking perfect seeming house. And the recovery is I consistently told myself over and over again, even though I had to do it constantly, if it was my house, it would be my house. That's how God works. That's the way it works. If it's not my house, it's not my house. That means there's a better house. And every time I've thought this is the one I have to have, there's always something better. It's never not been true. Um, and yet, even still, setting it up the way I set it up, the way I work my program, I still was an obsession about this house for a little while. As the absolute perfect house, the one I had to have, we'll never find anything like it, blah, blah, blah. Nothing extreme like that, but it was like a sadness, a disappointment, and I'm just sort of frustrated and not seeing anything good. And um, 
it was interesting. Even starting out that way, I still want to take this back from my higher power. And so I found myself in obsession, which is our topic for today. No. Yes. And you might oh. have had some obsession if your whole relationship dissolved. In the Not country. at all. None. And I wasn't been obsessing some obsession at all. There. I wasn't but, obsessing about how my partner left me for another person. Not at all. I wasn't yeah, thinking about not my not enoughness. That's at all. I wasn't obsessing about how I could have. There was nothing. I, there must have been something I did or did not do. I mean, you probably weren't good enough. How did I not enough to solve this one for the one or smart were. enough? Don't smart forget enough. that one. Oh, you probably Don't forget smart enough. That's what it was. Yeah, <laughs> I think I doubt that. But we have oh. a guest to talk to us about obsession. We today. do. And their name is Aaron. Hi. Aaron. Welcome How's to the How's it pod. going, Aaron? <laughs> it's going well. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, kick us off with whatever you want to say about obsession. I can't wait to hear about it. And sure. Claire's got your time. Yeah. How yeah. do you want it? Do you want just a straight 10? You want some? Uh, just give me an eight minute warning. And minutes you got it perfect i um yeah i happy to be here happy to talk about obsession when claire asked me and what i wanted to talk about it felt like the clear choice um but i'll say a little bit about what brought me into al-anon and then get into where i'm at with that now um but i did not grow up in active in a home that had any sort of active alcoholism or drinking um, or any addiction of any kind. Um, I vaguely knew that I sort of lived in a like alcoholic family dynamic because I had been told about my grandfather, who was for sure an alcoholic, definitely abusive person, definitely terrible all around to the point where my family uh, kept me away from him, and I never met him, and I, to this day, don't even know if he's alive. Um, so I think I had these stories of this terrible person who existed in my my mother's life, and I was like, well, that person doesn't impact me because I've never met him, and, you know, didn't really think about it a whole lot. And it sort of wasn't until I was an adult, and I found these tendencies uh, in myself, these Al-Anon tendencies, these obsessive tendencies in adulthood, where first I found myself being drawn to a ton of alcoholics. I found alcoholics very exciting. I found them very interesting. I kept being like, this is a weird, I don't know, just surprising quirk. This has nothing to do with anything. They just all happen to be alcoholics for whatever reason. Um, and again, like I didn't really have enough knowledge to know what that was about or if it meant anything or anything like that. Um, but there was like a lot of like, these were not people I was dating. There was a lot of like unrequited longing. I think first some of that was just like my little baby gay queer experience that there had to be a lot of unrequited longing. But second, I think there was a lot of me being drawn to this thing that I sort of felt like I couldn't have or and you know as you were saying the sort of feeling of like not being good enough smart enough attractive enough that I was just like I will figure this out I will figure out this person and I will figure out how to get what I want from it and I will figure out how to be safe um 
And I think that turned into this, like, uh, idea of, like, sort of seeing people as puzzles almost. Um, I think I am a person who's very fascinated by people and very fascinated by human relationships. And that's kind of my job is to understand how people work. So in some ways that has served me very well. And I think in many ways, um, especially as like a, a young adult, I use this in a way that was just, you know, obsessive of like, I need to figure out what's up with these people. And I found out it's not necessarily the case that people are puzzles that you can figure out. They are not games that you can win. There's not a way to like understand how to like push the right series of buttons to get what you want. And it's interesting because I didn't think I was doing that. It took a long time to even notice that that was happening. Um, but, you know, I think there was something about that mystery that was always very interesting to me. Um, and I guess more recently, um, I have been in a relationship with my partner for the last 11 years, and she is a alcoholic in recovery. Um, and sort of was told to me very early in my relationship, like, hey, you qualify for Al-Anon just by dating me. Sounds like, you know, there was some gentle, like, hey, maybe this is something that you would be interested in. And I was like, no, we're good. We're fine. And I think in many ways that has been true. Like that sort of, I've never noticed that dynamic in a drastic way in that relationship. Um, but I'm also polyamorous and have found myself, you know, in this relationship that feels very healthy on this one end, this 11 year long relationship with this person that I have married, you know, not engaging in that obsession, not engaging in that, like trying to change someone, not engaging in all of these things. But I will find myself having these crushes with people where I go into this old pattern of, you know, this person is someone that I have to figure out. And this person is a, someone that I have to figure out how to change or understand, or again, be safe, have my needs met, all of those things. Um, and that has looked like a lot of different things over the years. Um, but, you know, I think I just had a number of times where I would be either having a crush or in a relationship with someone where I felt like I either had to enable their behavior or I had to sort of like fix it. And I felt like I kept sort of bouncing back between these two options that I was like, well, this one's not working. So let me try the other one. That one's not working. Let me go back to the first one. Just sort of like pinballing between these two things back and forth. Um, and that got very frustrating. Uh, <laughs> that got very, you know, clearly was not a successful thing that I was doing. Um, after about a year in a relationship that I was in, I realized that, you know, as much as I felt like I was trying to show up as my best self, I was still stuck in these patterns and I was still stuck in this obsession to the point, again, where I was like, so focused on the relationship that wasn't working and so focused on the relationship that was hurting my feelings. I wasn't paying attention to the relationship that was really lovely and working. Um, and uh, that's what brought me into Al-Anon. And I think at that time I started to see even deeper levels of that pattern for me. I did start to notice some of the you know patterns within my, my relationship that is really great. Um, and that has been, that was interesting because that happened about 
know, seven or eight years into our relationship, I really didn't think there was a whole lot to learn about each other on a very deep level. I sort of thought we, we knew each other pretty well, and we did. Um, but I think seeing it through the lens of Al-Anon, I noticed ways that I have a tendency to martyr myself. I have a tendency to feel like I am the person who, you know, needs to manage and control things. I am the person who, you know, and I think there are ways that ironically having something good is so far from what I envisioned for my life. I think being a queer and trans person who struggled with a lot of depression and various things that like the fact that I'm in a successful marriage already feels like more than I expected and I think a small part of my brain thinks more than I deserve so I think there's a way that even in this relationship now that I um you know I'm like well this is more than I could have ever dreamed of. So, you know, there are ways that I have to put myself in a disadvantage or again, martyr myself. Um, but recently, oh, uh, the relationship that brought me into Al-Anon, I realized was, you know, eventually unsustainable. And I felt like, you know, I noticed that first, this was taking up so much mental real estate and, I was constantly anxious. It physically hurt my body. Like, I'm not a person who experiences anxiety. I <laughs> joke that I'm much more of a depressive and I, depression and I have an understanding, anxiety and I am just like, I don't know how people live like this. This is horrible. Um, but I was constantly anxious. I was constantly wondering what this person was doing, what they were thinking, where they were. And I, you know, again, was just obsessing all the time and realized eventually for my own sanity and in order to not go through this process of self-betrayal that this was something that was not going to work for me. Um, and I broke up with that person. Um, but I think recently I've been, again, finding people who are fascinating in these similar ways and trying to not do that old behavior of, you know, like, constantly wondering where they are or what they're doing or what they're thinking I think one thing that took me a long time to figure out is that the sort of actions of an alcoholic can seem really baffling of course and I thought that you know again there was some sort of complicated reason for why people did what they did and I obsessed about it and I think I eventually got to a place where I was just like, what if the answer is not actually that interesting? Which was a weird sort of freeing thought, but I was like, what if the answer is kind of boring and you can just like leave it alone and just be like, it doesn't, first of all, it doesn't even really matter what the answer is because it's not working for you. But second, if the answer was just really boring, could you just put it down? Um, and I think letting go of the mystery has been huge for me. Um, and that, you know, I don't need to, and I can't be the one to outsmart the problem. But I think there's also, you know, especially after the fact, you know, these sort of obsessions with the way that I've been harmed um, and realizing that I can either be someone who continually sh shows up for that or I can have boundaries and move away from that. Um, and I found that for me, what it looks like to stop that obsession or to yeah 
do something different is to focus on myself, which feels very obvious. And also what focusing on myself means has become clearer recently. Um, that first, I think I have a tendency to, you know, sort of be like, stop thinking about it, stop thinking about it, stop thinking about it, which never works. I don't know if it works for anyone. Um, but first I have to fill my life with positive, exciting things that are actually fun to think about. Just telling myself not to think about something is not useful. Um, and, you know, also how am I showing up to this where I think in these scenarios where I'm sort of pitting myself as like the good person and the other person is the bad person, uh, it's really easy to, you know, just see the harm that they're creating without seeing the ways that I am participating in that. And recently just noticing that like me continuing to interact with someone and also have disdain for them is not kindness. Uh, which again, all of these things sort of seem very obvious, but like the sort of subtlety of noticing what I'm doing when I'm so obsessed with the way that someone else is harming me, it's really easy to ignore my own part in something because I'm so wrapped up in these other thoughts and that hasn't been helpful for my sanity and <laughs> it hasn't been helpful for just becoming the best version of myself. So I guess I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yay, we're clapping. There'd be a room of people clapping. Oh, there's Claire's clapping. <laughs> I miss in-person meetings. Obsession, that was really beautiful. I really loved what you said about, um, I mean, I, I guess it's obvious from program, but I don't think there's a sentence that connects these two, or at least not as directly as you did, but you know, the opposite of obsession is keeping the focus on yourself. Um, I really like, or the antidote, I think is how you described it, which of course sort of sums up our entire program, but I think it was really well said um, by you. And um, I guess I'd love to start with your first obsession, since we're going to talk about obsession and we don't always have to do history, but like, do you have a memory of something or a person? Well, let's start with a person of like your first obsession and what it felt like. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I don't know, there maybe were earlier ones, but my first memories of it were for sure in high school when I think, again, like I said, I think there's a lot of the like baby gay wrapped up in my first obsessions, which was just like, do I like girls or do I like this one girl? And just, again, I think, you know, there's sort of this like feeling of like, I have to figure out how to be safe. So if I like think about it really, really hard, I figure out what this person is doing or what this person wants, or if this person is also like secretly queer or like whatever, then I can be safe. And yeah, I very much remember, you know, in being in high school and trying to know what you know my my best friend that i clearly in retrospect was very in love with uh was doing all the time <laughs> and it didn't work it didn't help it also did not save our friendship like i think there were ways that we both had such drastically different needs and i was just like but i will figure it out and i will figure out how we can be compatible even if our sexualities aren't or whatever like i don't and I think, again, some of that was so uh, unconscious because I, I barely knew what I even wanted. 
I mean, it's kind of out of program, but I have to say I'm a little blown away by this thought process because I had never connected obsession with, and it, we're all queer on this podcast, but I've never connected that with being queer. Um, mm. But you're right. You're being asked to, or you like something that you can't have or inherently don't think you can ever have, probably, unless, I don't know, unless you were born in the last 10 years and you got like a wonderful <laughs> different upbringing than I did. Um, <laughs> it didn't seem like something. And at the very least, I don't know, your formative years, so much of it is that mystery you were describing that you make up that maybe sort of kind of that person could be secretly also, you know, there's such a clandestine yeah. Uh, narrative and storytelling that goes into those relationships that are inherently one-sided, which is inherently obsession, and yet yeah. is a pretty normative experience for a young queer person. Yeah, and I think there were so many ways, you know, my like high school and college crushes of these people who either were not queer or were, like not able to act on it or whatever was just like they gave me enough attention that I was like oh I need more of that like that's the best thing I've ever felt in my life and I think I thought I was like an incredibly reasonable logical person who was like you know well if they're not into it it's fine and I'll move on with my life and I think that has generally been true like when people are just like no not interested then I can move on but when people are like I'm not interested in the way you want me to be interested but I'm still gonna like you know give you mm. this like physical contact that feels really great or this attention that feels really great or whatever mm. then I'm just like but I don't understand and but like you are giving me something like why can't you give me everything mm-hmm. and I think that that is what would frequently turn into obsession it's just like why can't I have more like why can't I have what I want why can't this be everything that I hope and dream and not accepting, you know, like people's words and actions were different. And I was like, but you said this thing, but you did this thing. And just being like, <laughs> okay, well, like you can sh- continue to show up for the fantasy or you can show up for the reality of who this person actually is in this moment. So fascinating. It's really getting me to like wonder where obsession started in the home and why there's an obsession around going to the hardware store for milk, you know, because like, that's kind of like the thing that I hear in that is like, or the phrase from our program that like drops out for me in that is like going, you know, going to unavailable people or like we have a phrase like go where the warmth is, but like obsession has nothing to do with that. It's like about going where it's like fucking hot and cold and hot and cold. (laughs) It's like, it's like, why do I, I'm like really like thinking, think 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 in this moment of like hmm what is it about the relationship with the unmanageable person right because it's not always alcoholism like it could be mental illness it could be another addiction it could be just just you know rage rageaholics like there's just lots of that chaotic thing and is it just that it's familiar? Is it just that seeking someone who is unavailable and giving you mixed signals and thinking that you can, or is it like trying to recreate, it's like trying to like save your childhood, like just trying to like, I mean, for me, like that was where I was taught that, like was growing up in the alcoholic home. So it's like, am I just trying to like 
back and go back in time and like get dad to like play with me, <laughs> like you know, and like get dad to like love me how I wanted to be loved. Is that what I'm trying to do is like through this relationship, heal that trauma. It's like, oh, wow. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think <laughs> like looking back, I know that my mom was dealing with like some pretty severe mental health stuff from, again, mm. my grandfather, who was a terrible person. And, True. uh, you know, I was really young and I didn't understand what was going on. And I started to put the pieces together more and more as an adult. But like, there's so much that I didn't even know what was happening at the time. In looking back, I was just like, oh, you know, I came home once and like my mom was laying on the floor and I didn't know why. And like, my my dad ended up having to take her to the hospital and fully not knowing why because i was like i don't know she's not sick no one ever told me about her being sick and then like hearing all of these things that i was like oh she was dealing with ptsd dealing with all of this stuff and i think there mm -hmm. was always this you know relationship where of course she was doing her best and i felt very loved and supported and also she was struggling in many ways and i think you know trying to undo her own patterns and figuring out what that meant and again I think they're probably yeah it seems very reasonable that we're like trying to like redo the past or something and also I had this fantasy that like once I had the good thing I would stop seeking out the bad thing which again uh -huh. like I said I have this <laughs> wonderful relationship of 11 years where, you know, there's like not scorekeeping. There is not this, you know, push-pull dynamic. There's not this obsession. There's not, you know, like it's really, really great. And still, you know, these other people will walk by and I'll be like, oh, that's really interesting. I got to go follow them. And I'm like, what? what about this? That even when I have found the thing that feels like everything I want that I'm still like oh nope gotta gotta make you my hobby you seem really fascinating you seem like this hobby will hurt my feelings also but like it seems like a fascinating <laughs> hobby <laughs> so, yeah so I really in... oh I was gonna say I just so was gonna say in... oh. <laughs> joke and cut it hopefully it's go. fine if, if they can go. okay fine I'm gonna go I am gonna go um now I can't remember what it was. Oh my god, it, all it that hoopla for nothing. <laughs> Jeez. Um, well, let's get to <laughs> to my brilliant statements. Um, so, no, I... <laughs> do you know what you're going to say? I was going to no, say... No, I'll um, remember while you're talking. It's fine. Exactly. Go ahead. Um, I was going to say the... <laughs> to me, it was interesting you brought up inconsistencies and obsession. Because to me, the obsession lies in the inconsistencies and the wanting to square the circle. You know, like when I think about this house, just as what I led in today, I didn't become obsessed with it until he took it off the market and couldn't explain to me why. Like, it was so irrational. He listed the house for four days and took it out. He was extreme. He, like, did it. It was either on or off the market. There were no negotiations. And I was like, oh, the house is alcoholic. This is alcoholism. That's what's happening. This person, this thing is happening in an extreme way. It's black and white. There's no explanations. There's no conversations. Um, it's peeling and then it's gone. 
And I think that those inconsistencies, whenever I've been in obsession is because I can't, my brain is trying to solve, to your point, solve the problem, solve the puzzle, and it's programmed to do it. And so obsession kicks in for me a lot where the inconsistency starts. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I and guess people I think... are inherently inconsistent. <laughs> yes. People are very frustrating. And I, yeah, I found um, while I was doing my fourth and fifth step that one of my major forms of or categories of resentment was that people's words and actions wouldn't align. And I took it as if people were intentionally lying to me. Mm. And looking back at all of these, this category of resentments, I was like, these people are messy. They don't know what they want or need. And that's why they can't communicate it to you. They're not mm. doing it to be like, fuck you. I really want to make your life terrible. So I'm going to lie to you, which is sort of how I interpret it on like an emotional level is someone's just like, specifically lying to me to make my life bad and i'm just like this is so much less personal than you think it is wow yeah don't take it personally wow um the thing that it was that i remember now is are you uncomfortable when everything is going well you know and that's that whole concept of like because we're conditioned to believe that it's going to get bad at some point, because that is what we're taught with the inconsistency of any of these, you know, any of the disease that is the disease of alcoholism, etc. So I think that it's totally makes also like, it just makes so much sense that we would want to try and figure it out, try and work out a fantasy where we are safe where things are how we would want them to be in order to feel okay and to have be validated you know because we're constantly seeking the validation um and like acceptance and love from this inconsistent source and then that's so familial and like just like baked into the cake of our humans as we age and like pre-program for me, like not practicing any programness, it was just like, no, I just keep do. I'm just going to keep doing this thing because isn't that how I get the thing I need? Um, you know, and then you learn that when you come into these rooms, it's like, oh yeah, like it all starts with like, let it begin with me, you know, like everything starts here with me and it isn't personal. Like, wow, like it isn't personal. And like how I have been inconsistent also wasn't personal because like I sucked before. Pro I was great in all, a lot of ways, but the same way that an alcoholic is great. I was super fun and all these things, but I was super inconsistent in a lot of ways too, you know, because like I have the same disease. Yeah. It just yeah. made me think about, do, do I expect God to be inconsistent even still? as a because we're in this loving relationship and i still want to take things back and why i mean is it because i really don't think that genuinely it will happen the 10th the 100th the thousandth time that i saw it through and i'm curious aaron what your relationship to your higher power is as you think about obsession in this way yeah i mean i think coming into al-anon i had to figure out a lot of my like 
who is my higher power? What does that look like? I think I grew up, you know, as many in a religious situation that did not work for me, did not feel affirming to me, did not feel loving to me. Um, and also I grew up around a lot of wealth and I sort of like knew people who like prayed in a way that felt like they were ordering from a menu. Like, God, please give me this house. Like, God, please allow me to make more money, get this job, get this raise, get this car. And I was like, that cannot possibly be what prayer is for. <laughs> I'm like, I don't understand <laughs> what this is about. Um, and I think that took me a long time, yeah, to be like, what would it mean for a higher power to not be some person who's like judging your life, assessing if you're like worthy enough of gifts mm. that are like these mm -hmm. very, you know, human, like very, you know, you want to be rich and famous type gifts. Um, and I think that has been, that has taken a lot. And I think, you know, going through the steps for the first time, <laughs> I really wanted to have this very clear picture of my higher power um and it didn't happen like i just was like what if god is in everything like what if my working theory is that god is in everything and like what does that mean for me but i think it has allowed me to move away from obsession and you know allow me to see things from such a bigger picture because I you know in my life and I'm sure probably for everyone uh that I look back on these obsessions that I had like my, again this like high school obsession this relationship that I used to have a couple years past and I'm like what was I doing like why was that the thing like it doesn't feel important anymore and when I think how much clarity I have after you know two years five years ten years that I think of, you know, like my higher power who, you know, in my conception is this like infinite something, is that like everything is so small. Everything is so like, you know, and again, I, I, I guess I grew up in a, a religion that sort of was just like, well, God will take care of you and everything will work out in the end, which was hard to look around and be like, then why are people suffering? Like, why are people homeless? Why are people struggling in these very significant ways? And I think being able to acknowledge that, like, you know, I having this sort of zoomed out view is not about like trying to convince myself to not have feelings about things. It's trying to acknowledge like, this is so much bigger than I can possibly understand. And what it means and how it will you know allow me to grow is probably something that i cannot see while i'm in it and having faith that like that will become clear in time and go along for the ride in a way where i'm not like i don't know just screaming the whole time <laughs> being like this will this will be okay and this will be something that you know you will get to have a different experience of um, and your higher power can see that and your higher power is like holding that for you and your higher power is so much bigger than all of this and you will get, you know, the gifts of some of that in time. And again, it's not, you know, praying to be like, let me have this relationship that I want or whatever. It is praying for the like 
bigger picture. Yeah, because that's not serene, right? It's interesting. Like when I think of words that I describe my higher power with or I describe like the relationship I want to have with my higher power, or, like just how I want to be in life, which I mean, like my pyramid is like higher powers at the top, then my program, then me, then everybody else. And if I'm doing that, it's really actually um, takes a lot of work for me to be an obsession when I'm putting those things as the priority, right? And like, upset um, doesn't mean obsession won't show up, but staying in it is kind of um, unlikely for me at that point. And it's just interesting because, you know, we say like for the grace of God and we say the serenity prayer a lot. And we, you know, we talk about being in God's ease, balance and grace and being serene. And um, it's just like none of those, you know, and it's like if I look at the up the definition of those words, none of them, they're so uh, completely, you know, opposites of of obsession and what obsession is. You know, and so it's interesting because I think like I do ask a lot of my God. I ask so much of my God and um, but like and I've received so much, so, so many gifts, you know, um, of which many are material in a lot of ways. But I but I don't show up like asking for the material thing, if that makes sense. I literally like my prayers are like, God, please like show me like, God, please do redirect my thinking. Like, God, please allow me to be of service. Like show me how to use my gifts and be of service. Like, you know, how do I like, look, you know what happiness is like to me. Okay. Like God, you know, like how I want to experience happiness and what the, like, so just lead me to that. If like, if this is the thing that can bring me joy, like show me through easy does it, you know, it's like the conversation's really different and I'm not like thinking about cash and prizes, I guess, but I am thinking about like, how do I get in alignment with my higher power and receive the gifts of my higher power? It's like I cannot be an obsession when I'm doing that or when I'm focusing on that because then I'm also focusing on myself and I'm keeping myself busy, you know, because it's like I show up, I be of service, I'm doing action. And it's like that was something that I was thinking about during your lead, Aaron, was like, you know, you said you, you know, you were talking about like getting yourself to do these other things and, you know, instead of allowing this obsession to take up that real estate which for me is like when I got busy I got better that's that phrase mm. so it's like I guess that brings me to a question of like what is what does that look like to you to like shift from when do are you do you have awareness at this point where like what's your awareness like around your obsession when it comes up and then like like, you know, do you move through the three A's and then like what I guess what does that action look like in terms of like switching it you know do you have a way that you approach it now when you find yourself in obsession yeah I definitely think I notice it so much faster which I think early in my process I sort of felt like I was going around and around in circles like I was just like oh I keep doing this over and over and over again like I keep finding these people and I keep doing it over and over and over again and I think 
looking back, like, I do it differently every time. And I think having to first be okay with the fact that, like, I don't know how to just turn this off. And I don't know if that is a thing that is available to me. And maybe it's available to someone, but it doesn't feel available to me. And, like, that's okay that I keep being like, oh, I'm drawn to that person. And what does it mean for me to be aware of that pattern? What does it mean for me to be aware of my tendencies? What does it mean for me to, like, notice that, like, you know, yeah, if I, like, text them all day every day, then I am going to throw fire (laughs) or, like, gasoline onto this fire (laughs) that, like, let me do the things that allow me to do something different. And through Al-Anon, you know, I think I've really identified that like I have this tendency towards wanting to keep those experiences to myself because I know if I share them with people they're gonna be like the fuck are you doing like why what what is this person (laughs) giving to you you seem unhappy (laughs) like Mm. and I think I will have these experiences and be like oh I gotta keep it a secret um because people are gonna be judgmental and they just don't understand they don't understand the potential of this person or like whatever else um so I think through Al-Anon, like, I've really identified that, like, I need to talk about things. I need to be open about my experiences in those moments where I want to, like, keep something to myself that is a sign to do the contrary action of, like, go call a bunch of people. <laughs> go talk to a bunch of fellows, a bunch of people you trust, your sponsor, like, whoever. Um, and I think as I do that, the fantasy starts to you know, dissolve that I can see it for much more clear, much more clearly than, you know, I was able to before. And yeah, again, like I said, I think filling it with those positive experiences and filling it with like, who do I like interacting with in a way that I'm not guessing what they're thinking. I'm not wondering if I'm like bothering them. I'm not wondering if my attention is like too much or unwanted Uh, Uh, and like I have this tendency to be like oh I'm so alone in the universe and sometimes it truly is like go through your phone and be like oh yeah look at all these friends I have (laughs) like the absurdity of just being like how am I forgetting these incredible people and resources and all of these things and you know I think it's been really wonderful to have that and you know engage in a spiritual practice that feels like it's my own and I think that took me like honestly a while in Al-Anon before I really wanted to engage even with a little bit with the idea of a higher power I was like I get it I understand why like this is happening and also like I'm not really ready for that um but I think yeah interestingly now like I think I've gotten to a place where that feels really fun and exciting and interesting and Mm -hmm. that's cool and I I felt like that was something that I was like willing to have faith in that that could be something that could come to me because I think I you know didn't want it to feel like an obligation the way religion had in the past I didn't want anything to feel like something that I was like forcing myself to do that I was like essentially you know that sort of like I'm open to being open and that is where I started and now I think I've gotten to a place where I'm like this feels really again got to a place where it's fun and that's cool and that didn't feel at all possible um and I don't know uh something about what you were saying 
Claire, it was just that, like, so much of my life is so much bigger and more Mm. than I could have ever anticipated that it would be. So if higher power actually works the way that I sort of described earlier, where I, like, ordered things off a menu, I think my life would actually be smaller and, like, Mm. not as good. You'd only order apps. Yeah, exactly. And I think allowing myself to just be like, I don't know what's coming for me, and it could be so much bigger and more wonderful than I can even imagine. And let me have faith in that possibility. Because, you know, if you had asked me at 18, like what I wanted my life to look like, I like, my imagination was so limited. Mm. And I don't mm-hmm. think I could have thought that I could be a happy, queer, trans, polyamorous person. I didn't know any of those things about myself, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, like, I think if you had told me, like, hey, here's what your future is going to be, I would be like, oh, well, I'm just going to be super depressed. Like, those people have very depressed lives. Like, there's no oh, good man. in that possibility. And there is. There's so much more than I thought was possible. I love what you said about mystery and I want to get to the reading, but I just want to say, I love what you said about mystery. And you said, um, if the answer was really boring, could you just put it down? And I think, you know, what I heard from you is how you use the program. Essentially the answers are actually usually almost always, I can't think of any time they're not actually pretty boring when you actually reason them out. And we create this mystery that's so interesting and then we can hold on to it because it's so unresolved. And and I think that was really what I heard you talk Mm. about is the way you use the program to reason things out with others. And that inherently creates the boring clarity of reality. And then the obsession is sort of lifted. And and, um, I also heard a lot about the higher power and, you know, we were talking about a reading today and Claire had a reading in mind and you had said, well, actually today's courage to change was about obsession. And we were just immediately like, Oh, higher power. Yeah. That's what we're supposed to read today as a group. Um, And so it just, it's just always there in all these little ways. Um, Well, and Aaron had just looked it up under obsession and then it just happened to be today's. Yeah. That's why it was like, wasn't even like looking at, you know, yeah. yeah, you know, that's an amazing, that's, gosh, now I just, I'm removed of all of that guilt of not recording an episode sooner. Um... It was supposed to be today. <laughs> it was always supposed to be today. But I haven't read it, so I want to hear it. Claire, will you read it for me? All right. I'm going to read the reading now. This is from Courage to Change, page 306 for November 1st. Sometimes a horse refuses to obey the rider's command and races out of control. My thoughts can do this too. When I frantically try over and over to solve a difficult problem, writing lessons have taught me not to continually repeat a command louder, but to stop the horse, get the horse's attention, and begin again. Likewise, when my thoughts race out of control, I need to stop. I may do this by breathing deeply or looking at my surroundings. It can help to replace the obsessive thoughts with something positive, such as Al-Anon slogans, the serenity prayer, or another comforting topic that has nothing to do with my problem. Later, I may want to think about the problem again in a more serene way with the help of Al-Anon friend or sponsor. 
When I put some distance between myself and obsessive thinking, I can better look at my situation without losing all control. Today's reminder, sometimes I have to let go of a problem before I can find a solution. My racing thoughts may be making so much noise that I cannot hear the guidance my inner voice is offering. Quieting the noise is a skill I can learn with practice. At first, I may have to... I may have to still my thoughts again and again, but in Al-Anon I learned that practice makes progress one minute, one thought at a time. And the quote is, all men's miseries derive from not being able to sit quiet in a room alone. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's great. I liked practice makes progress. You never heard that, Corey? I guess I hadn't heard that exactly <laughs> in those two words. Uh, practice makes perfect, I've heard, but we don't do perfect. So that's no, we do progress, not perfection. I know, but I've never yeah. heard practice makes progress. It does. Um, what if that resonated for you, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, I think it was, you know, that sort of idea that, like, First of all, I don't need to, like, beat myself up for my thoughts doing what my thoughts do. Like, I guess in this, like, reading this sort of horses run, like, that's kind of a natural thing, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. when I, you know, engage with meditation or something, like, when I first started, like, you know, you're just, like, clear your mind, and you're, like, that's actually very hard. <laughs> like, I don't know mm -hmm. why you're saying it as if it's this simple thing. And I think when I finally had someone say, like, your mind's job is to go down different routes. Like, your mind wanders. That's what it does. You keep bringing it back over and over and over again. And I was like, oh, that feels far more possible than clearing my mind. Like, I've never once been like, my mind is clear of all thoughts. But my goal <laughs> is to continue to bring it back to my body or, you know, where I am or, you know, the present in some way. Um, and I think allowing myself to be like, okay, sometimes it's like totally fine that my thoughts go down these paths. That doesn't make me a bad person. That doesn't make me like bad at Al-Anon. That doesn't make me, you know, that I haven't progressed. It just means that's just what happens sometimes. And my job is to keep coming back, keep like bringing myself back to the present, keep bringing myself back to like, I am safe and I am okay. And, you know, like... I can just be right here where I'm not saying that like all of the things that have felt painful in my life have been the creation of my own mind, but like a lot of them have been, <laughs> have been just me being like, I am not okay with the reality of the situation and I need it to be different and starting to exist in the place of being like, if the reality of the situation is what it is and it's not going to change, can you still be okay? Frequently the answer is yes, I'm actually okay right now. And needing this thing to be different is actually making things painful and horrible for me. Um, and that feels so freeing and simple in some ways, but like, again, simple in that sort of meditative way where you're like, actually the simplicity can feel very difficult, but like the, the progress is you know, something that I practice and it's attainable and it's 
easier than it feels than when I'm like digging my heels in. Hmm. Well, that yeah. sums it up perfectly. That's a great way to close this out. Yeah, it really is. I, I mean, I heard and I speak about acceptance a lot. And my sponsor says, um, you know, acceptance is so non-dramatic and obsession is so dramatic, right? And it's just like, there's so much drama in it. And like, of course I love drama, like I'm a human. Um, yeah, that's just really amazing that the antidote to, to, uh, to obsession being, being that acceptance, right? Like if nothing changed, am I still okay? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Aaron. Really appreciate your being honest and vulnerable with us tonight. I appreciate the space and it was, it was fun. (laughs) Oh, good. Good. It's never bad to be fun. Yeah. Love to talk about that deep shit. So it was fun. <laughs> fun, people. We hate it. That's why we just started this podcast. Know, we, we just hate wanted it so to go much. Absolute week. misery every uh, time. I just want to punish myself. That's why I show up here. <laughs> well, thank you, Aaron. Thank you. Well, thank that's you all so we much. have, and. We're going to say the thing. We're going to say it in the way that we say it. Are you ready? Yeah, of course. Ready. Okay. Keep coming coming back. back. Works Works if you work it. it. And And you're worth worth it. This podcast is produced by Claire and Corey. Original music by Austin Bunn. Original Crosstalk logo by Jonathan Grant. Thanks to all our listeners, and keep coming back.